So when I was three or four, we just moved into a, a new house and my brother liked fountain pens at the time and, and left some of his ink lying around in the living room. I managed to get hold of this and obviously spilt it all over the floor. Uh, the problem being, you couldn't get it out. We had to rip up the floor and put stick and yawn in. This is just one of the many mischievous stories I could tell. And I know that despite all of that, my mum still loves me. You're amazing, mum. Thank you. Um, I love her flipping pancakes on the wall. She does flip pancakes on the wall every time. I was uh, at home and I was playing some video games and uh, the cable of my controller knocked one of my mum's candles over and I thought mum loved these candles, I thought they were like real special to her. Knock the candle over and smash the candle so I felt really bad so I called mum and I was like mum I'm so sorry I've broken one of your candles so she was like well it's alright Nathan but so that the other one doesn't get broken why don't you just take that out to the kitchen whilst I clear up this one. As I carried it to the kitchen I tripped over, dropped the candle and then that one smashed everywhere as well so sorry mum. Zed, and then we had to jump upstairs and then the pancake fell down on my plate. Once asked my mum, what, mum, what's your claim to fame? And she was rubbish at telling her stories about herself, but she, she told us this one, which I'm, I'm never quite sure even to this day if it's true, which was she, she used to be in the Wrens in World War II. Um, and one of her jobs in the Wrens was to send messages from the, the big wigs, even like Churchill, through to the, the soldiers. And on the day before D-Day, she sent a message that said, right boys, off you go. She claimed that she actually sent the message that told our troops to leave their barracks and head off to France. And that's her claim to fame. And then I ate it all up. And then my sister was angry at me. And then I... <laughs> So if I was to describe my mum, it would probably be uh, long-suffering. When I was 17, she'd knitted me this, this Aran sweater. And it was a really lovely jumper, it had taken her six months. And uh, there was this Friday where I, I put it on, I'd only had it a few days, and I went into school, I was doing physics, and I'd leant over this Bunsen burner uh, and managed to set myself on fire. Uh, everyone was pointing at me. Uh, and I looked down and there were flames everywhere. So uh, I had to go home with my tail between my legs and hand it over to her and uh, bless her, she unpicked the whole thing and, and, and re-knitted it for me, which was, which was lovely. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, a week later I left it on a bus, which wasn't great. <laughs> That's so brilliant. Oh, the life of the life of a mum with a son, which I know well. Oh, welcome to Kingsgate. Can I add my welcome today? We've got a special morning um, ahead of us this morning. My name's Zoe. For those of you who don't know, I've been part of the Kingsgate family now for about 13 years, been on staff for 12 of those, and um, I'm a worship leader here at Kingsgate Peterborough as well. I'm married to Liam, and I've got two lovely boys, a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, one so life is full, busy, but lots of fun. Um, seeing as it is a special Sunday, we wanted to do something slightly different this morning, so I hope that's okay with you. Um, and the wonderful Karen has agreed to answer some of our questions about life, motherhood, and, and ministry, so... Really looking forward to that. Karen, along with her husband Dave, um, 
co-founded and um, now run and, and lead Kingsgate as we know it. So that's incredible. So I know there's a, a wealth of wisdom and experience in you, Karen, that I can't wait to draw out today. Um, from my personal perspective, um, getting a, to work alongside Karen, I know that you're one of the most integrous and, and wise people that I know. I know many times you've spoken directly into my life and it's just impacted me and, and shaped the person that I am today. So thank you for that. But one of the things I really love about you is that you're able to laugh at yourself <laughs> and um, say things as they really are and just be totally normal, even though you have this amazing authority. You are very down to earth. So I hope the rest of us get a, a glimpse of that today. So without further ado, let's get stuck into the questions. And I thought it would be a good idea um, before we kind of get into the deeper stuff, just to find out a little bit about who you are as okay. Karen Smith and um, perhaps some of the things that we wouldn't norm normally get the opportunity to find out about you. So I've prepared some quick fire questions okay. and I need you just to answer the one word um, answer. So oh, one, how, one word? Yeah, just one word, which <laughs> is hard for us women, isn't it? But <laughs> let's get going. Um, <laughs> So, the first one, <gasps> coffee or tea? Oh, easy, tea. Oh, that was three words. Oh, three. <laughs> tea, okay, okay. tea, tea, tea. PG tips or Earl Grey? Oh, definitely PG tips. Come on, <laughs> Earl Grey, that's not tea. Oh. <laughs> it's perfume, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> toffee or chocolate? Uh, um, well, toffee covered in chocolate. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, skiing holidays or beach holidays? Beach holiday, definitely. Nice. Daily Mail or The Times? Oh, gosh, what a confession. <laughs> um, mail online in the week and The Times on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of both. Classic FM or Radio 2? Oh, classic FM. Okay. But if I did listen to another radio station, it would be Radio 2 because that's the ba Baby Boomers Radio 1, isn't it? So we're just kind of carrying on. But you can't answer to sorry, say everything. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry, classic other. FM. <laughs> Skydiving or bungee jumping? Oh, gosh, neither. <laughs> no, it has to be one. Skydiving, if you, if you pushed me. <laughs> right. Pole dark or homeland? Oh, I'm a West Country girl. Pole dark. <laughs> so what about talk before you think or think before you talk? We're about to find out, Zoe. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, now we know a little bit more about who okay. you are, but yes. it'd be great to hear um, a bit about your family background. Okay. And can you tell us about yeah. that? Well, um, you've met Dave. I've been married to Dave for nearly 32 years. Um, 31 of those very happily. Um, the first year, <laughs> the first year, not the last year, the first year was tricky. But for, uh, once we got through the first year, the, the rest has been great. So, um, and we have two wonderful daughters, Emily and Annabelle. Uh, Emily is married to Alex and they live in London. And Annabelle is married to Chris and they live in Cambridge. But in terms of my early childhood, I, I, I grew up in Devon, and I'm number four of five siblings, and uh, my mum brought us up single-handedly, so, so I grew up in a single-parent family, so she had her work cut out, and uh, yeah, there's a picture of us. My cousin strayed into that shop, but we'll forgive him for that, so... <laughs> Well, today is Mother's Day, um, so it would be great to hear a little bit about your mum, who was this incredible woman, obviously, raising you all. Um, yeah. I think there's a photo up there now. Yeah. Um, but what do you most admire about her? Gosh. 
gosh, what can you say for a mum who's brought up five children on their own? I mean, there's so much that I could say. But I guess the three sort of real standout things was just how hard she worked to keep mm. the family together. And, uh, you know, she was having to take all kinds of little jobs to earn extra money just to put food on the table and shoes on our feet. And so she, she did, she very sacrificially, you know, literally gave her all to, to keep the, the family together. I think the second thing would be that she very graciously and very wisely um, never hardened my heart towards my dad. And I will be really grateful to her for that. So, you know, we never got caught in the crossfire of what was going on in their relationship. And, uh, you know, when he eventually left the family home, she made it very clear to us that we could make up our own minds whether or not to have a relationship with him. And I chose to, and I'm really glad that I did. And so, relatively mm. speaking, um, you know, I've, I have a very healthy relationship with my dad. But, mm. you know, so she obviously had to take the role of mum and dad. Mm. And, um, you know, there's a picture coming up of me on my wedding day, and she gave me she gave me away on my oh, wedding day. So, um, yeah, oh, maybe it's, oh, there it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a lovely picture. And, you know, I think sometimes you, you have to take all the responsibility and, and it's good that she got the honor <laughs> of giving me away on that day. So, so yeah. Um, and then I think thirdly, um, she, she was always incredibly trustworthy and she never broke confidence and she never gossiped. And I think that's something, wow. those three very wonderful characteristics, something that I've tried to emulate in my own life and something that I've tried to model to my own daughters. So, yeah, those would be the three standout things. But I could say so much more. <laughs> Amazing. What an incredible lady. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, now you're a church leader. So, were you brought up in a Christian home? Was your mum a Christian? Like, mm. tell us. Well, no, she wasn't. But she sent us off to church to sing in the choir, simply to get us out from underneath her feet. <laughs> There was no other reason for it. So, because she would know that on a Friday night choir practice and then Sunday morning and Sunday evening, she would get a few hours to herself, <laughs> which I think was probably how she managed to, to stay sane. Um, so, um, and I also went to a Catholic primary school um, just because it happened to be the nearest school. So I did have some Christian heritage. Um, and, you know, so throughout all of that growing up, I, I, you know, I was exposed to Bible stories and particularly, you know, Jesus always really intrigued me and fascinated me. And, and I always thought that, that one day uh, I would actually come into some kind of a relationship with him and it would mean something. But, um, but I, I was always wanting to put that day off because, you know, I was a real party girl and, and I, I, I thought, uh, when my partying days are over, then I'll get religious. <laughs> um, but, um, but amazingly, at the age of 21, I had a very radical conversion and uh, I was invited to a church in Oxford and I stepped into this church and just there was something about it that was so different and so just life-giving and full of people, full of life, full of young people. And that just began to make me think, okay, so maybe there is something in all of this. And it just set me off on a little sort of journey of discovery. I was living in London at the time. And so 
I, I, I looked for a great church in London because instinctively I knew that I couldn't work any faith out unless it was rooted into a local church. And so I found a great church called Holy Trinity Brompton and uh, went on one of their very earliest Alpha courses. And uh, of course, hundreds of us in Kingsgate and, well, in the nation and around the world, millions have since gone on an Alpha course and has been a key to their discovery of, you know, who the real Jesus is and develop their faith. So, um, so yes, yeah, so at 21, I had this radical conversion. I, I just, I loved Jesus then. I mean, something so powerful happened in my life. I knew that I was known by him, loved and treasured by him. And that just, my, my whole world just turned upside down and inside out. So, you know, I, I loved Jesus then and 35 years on, I love him more now than I, than I ever have. And so, you know, I've, it's just been an amazing just journey of faith for me. Mm. And so I love Jesus and, and I love church. I got stuck into church as a very new Christian and almost every week since then, except high days and holidays, I've been in church every weekend and you know it's just church the church family has become so important to me because my natural family were hundreds of miles away and so church became my family and so I've now got hundreds of incredible brothers and sisters and mums and dads which is actually a promise in the bible you know that um so so yeah I'm very grateful to God and very grateful to my church family f for just the the support and that sense of surround surrounding that I've had from them oh that's lovely um so in those early years you were a church leader um mothering raising two young girls. How did you do it all, Karen? What is the secret? <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth is, Zoe, I didn't do it all. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I didn't, and I could, because I couldn't do it all. And I had to make choices and, about where my priorities lay. Mm. And, you know, in those early years, the girls were definitely my priority. Um, and, you know, there were, it, were, it was challenging at times. And, uh, you know, I can remember sort of crying and thinking, I don't know if I can do this. And, um, you know, even getting to church on a Sunday was a real challenge when the girls were small, as you well know now with two young boys. <laughs> And the welcome team greet me, I just say, I'm here. Yes, I'm here. that's a miracle. <laughs> Are we all here? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I know, and then you, 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 get, you get yourself to church after quite a kerfuffle, and, uh, and then you, you arrive, and uh, you know, I remember thinking, okay, I can have time for worship, but then worship just turns into this kind of trying to find all the, all the girls where they've crawled under the chairs and <laughs> help themselves into somebody else's handbag and you know, all, all kinds of things. And, um, you know, and then I think, well, maybe through the word, maybe I can, you know, but then inevitably I'd end up in the creche or having to take them out to the, to the loo. So I'd literally get back from church on a Sunday and think to myself, and what was the point of all of that? <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point is, is that, you know, we can't live our faith without being anchored into a, a church family. Yeah, and true. so, you know, we don't ever want to disconnect ourselves from church, whatever reason, whatever the pressures mm -hmm. are. We want to just keep, keep plugged in. And, and I certainly found every week that went by, every month and every year, you know, it definitely did get easier. And I'm so grateful that I just made that choice and decision just to keep going and not disconnect. Um, because, yeah. you know, it's once you've disconnected, it can be quite hard to 
reconnect. Mm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I made that choice. Yeah, so am I. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what about, you know, your inner, like, your growth spiritually, your connection with God? We're talking about the importance of gathering, but yeah. what about for you personally behind closed doors? How did yeah. you make that possible with yeah. the demands of a young family? Yeah, yeah. well, I, I mean, it was definitely challenging, um, but... For me, music has always played a really important part in my life. I mm. grew up with music just in the house all, all of the time. And so when I became a Christian, I tapped into this wonderful world of, of worship music, which, I mean, 30 years on is even more wonderful. Um, just incredible, just worship ministry going on around the world. So back in those days, I just had to plug myself in mm. to worship music. You know, more than anything, it was the thing that really sustained me and it was a pathway to God for me and we all have different pathways but for me music was definitely one of those pathways and so I used every opportunity that I could just to keep connecting mm -hmm. you know in all the the stress and the exhaustion and the challenge of that 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 uh, family season and you know I remember putting the girls to bed and then you know it would be like right, lights out curtains drawn and I would just disappear into my own little private secret world of worship and prayer and intercession and so for me I mean I know you know it wasn't it, it wasn't a dry time spiritually for me it was actually a very rich time because I just determined to redeem the time. I didn't want that season to be a season where somehow I felt like spiritually I was going backwards. Mm -hmm. I'm like, actually, there are things that I can do with my time that, that, that I wouldn't have if I would say in a full-time job, for example. I mean, we all have challenges of time on our hands, whatever it is. Um, so I really wanted to redeem the time. And, and actually, I've had some of the most spiritually defining moments of my life at home, listening to worship music and doing some very mundane things like the iron so, you know, I think it's just making the most of every opportunity. Mm, that's great. That's really great. Um, so what about the girls? Let's talk yeah. about the girls, Emily and Annabelle. Girls. Yes. Um, what about dreams and aspirations for them as, yeah. as their mum? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we, we all want our children to be happy. Um, we all want them to reach their full potential. We all want what's the best for them. And, mm. uh, and that was definitely true for Dave, Dave and myself. Um, but I guess the bottom line for me was that I wanted them to grow up knowing Jesus as their friend as yeah. well. Um, I mean, I didn't come to faith until I was 21 years old, so I'd had 21 years of living my life very independently, often very selfishly, and sometimes very sinfully. And I didn't want my girls to grow up making the same mistakes that I did. I mean, I know they've got to grow up and they've got to make their mistakes, mm. um, but, you know, I really didn't want them to have to make some of the mistakes that, that I did. And so having Jesus in their lives as their sort of their, um, their friend and their guide and their compass, if you like, mm. um, I think was the thing for me that if, if when that is in place and everything else can kind of spill out, you know, from that. And, and they, did, they did have a relationship with Jesus from a very young age and, you know, he's kept them close through all the thick and thins of life. So That's great. So yeah. what about practically, how mm. did you and Dave do that? 
um, to encourage faith in yeah. them? Well, I, I mean, it is important. Uh, you know, parents do have the uh, primary responsibility for bringing their children up in the faith. It's not something that can be abdicated to the church or to somebody else. And, uh, you know, I mean, in Kingsgate, we have wonderful children's work. And, yeah. But that is to support what's going on in the home, mm -hmm. you know, because there's just something very precious about parents actually having that kind of input. So we invested a lot of time into them when they were younger. And so, um, you know, Bible stories was quite a key part of their daily routine and uh, praying over them at bedtime and singing over them. Um, so we invested a lot of time. Um, and I think we, for us, it was also very important that we were authentic. You know, it's because uh, children just see through all the smoke screen and behind the mask and they can see if what you're the kind of public life that you're living if it doesn't match up at, at from you know in your private world then then that's when they can begin to get a bit disillusioned and wonder what this is all about so for us having a very you know vibrant and real relationship with Jesus was important for them to see and you know how we navigated the challenges of life mm. with him you know to help us yeah. was important so so being you know being authentic and i think also just making sure that they knew that they weren't ever playing second fiddle to the ministry as well they were our primary you know they were the the, the first people in in our lives and then everything else kind of spilled out from that as well and so, you know, we didn't want busyness to be something that they would, you know, find potentially they could be disillusioned with. And, you know, I, I, there's a brilliant quote from the author C.S. Lewis, which says that, you know, children aren't a distraction from the most important things in life children are the most important thing, you know, and so we always wanted to kind of keep that at the forefront of our, of our thinking, that they were more important than anything else. Mm, that's great. And were you strict? Particularly, <laughs> we don't just want to know about the younger years, <laughs> the teenage years. Come on. Okay. And um, yes, I, I was, yes, I was strict. Strict in the sense that we had very, very clear and consistent boundaries. And so if the girls overstepped the boundaries, then they knew what the consequences to that stepping over the line was. And I think it is important for them uh, to, to have the security of knowing, you know, what, what the boundary lines were. Um, because I think it can be very confusing for children if they never know from one day to the next what certain behaviours are going to, what reaction is going to be provoked, mm. you know, in, in their parents. So they kind of knew, they knew what was what, and we settled what was what. And so that kind of brought a security. So yes, we were strict in the sense that there were very clear boundary lines. But there was a lot of fun and laughter and, <laughs> you know, um, singing and dancing and, you know, just creating very happy memories. So I, I hope, I mean, ask the girls, uh, I, I hope their abiding memory of growing up wasn't all about rules and regulations but was about the you know the the singing and the dancing in the kitchen after the washing up session and you know impromptu disco nights and you know all of that kind of fun that doesn't cost anything but you know just really yeah helps to create some great memories mm -hmm. in terms of the teenage years I mean they were quite turbulent and um, there were a lot of tears and tantrums from me um, <laughs> I, I um, yeah, Dave had to remind me on more than one occasion that I was the adult and not the sulky teenager. <laughs> um, <Brilliant>. But, 
But, but you know, we had to, we'd, we'd built a very strong bridge with the girls, you know, all through their lives. And so when the turbulence came, it was like we, we all managed to stay on the bridge, no matter how hard it was rocking, we were all kind of holding on for dear life, and we kind of managed to all stay on the bridge without, without the bridge breaking. And so, you know, and I think I can put that down to having created a kind of a family culture whereby we kept short accounts with one another. We had this little phrase with them when they were growing up, forgiven, forgotten, gone. And so, you know, we, they're, they're misdemeanors as little children they knew were forgiven, forgotten, gone. And the misdemeanors of teenage life they knew equally forgiven, forgotten, gone. And so we did manage to kind of weather, weather the teenage storms reasonably well. And, uh, you know, and I made a decision as well that, uh, to make sure that I was at home a lot more through the teenage years, just like I would have been through the sort of the young years. Mm. Because, you know, when, when everything is swirling around their world, they just want constant. Mm. And they just want to know that there's someone there. And so, you know, I, I, I worked hard to be more at home through those years as well. I mean, they didn't want, they didn't want my opinion most of the time. Or <laughs> <laughs> they're like, what does mum know about anything? Um, but it was just the fact that I was there I w was, was really important to them. Mm, that's great. I know when we were preparing as well, we talked about the importance of us saying sorry to our children, yes. which I think is, yes. is such a great point. And I've used since that discussion of just like, yeah, us you know, actually being able to model that and Definitely. say sorry and ask for their forgiveness Absolutely. when we've kind of, um, you Overstep know... Overstepped the mark yeah. when we crossed the boundary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We set ourselves. Um, <laughs> yes. What about, we've enjoyed baby dedications here this morning, yeah. which has been so lovely. Um, and what about those people who perhaps have come to faith later in life and feel like they've maybe lost some of those early years mm. of investment and sewing in? Mm. Um, have you got any encouragement mm. for them? Well, none of us can none of us can turn the clock back. Mm. Um, but the wonderful thing about inviting God into our lives is that He can give us a new start. Mm. And I think that's what's so wonderful. Um, you know, I, when I was 21, I got a brand new start in life, and it was like you know, my old life had gone and my new life had come. And so, you know, I think there's a sense in which wherever we are in life and, you know, we may be carrying a lot of regret or a lot of disappointment about family life, mm. a lot of pain, um, you know, there is a sense in which when we invite God into the middle of all of that, we can draw a line in the sand. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I just want to encourage anybody who's here today to, you know, not, not leave feeling that they've had a missed and a lost opportunity because yeah, that opportunity yeah. can start right now. Yeah. And we've got hundreds of families here who've got incredible stories to tell, you know, of people who came to faith late in life. And God has just done a wonderful work of bringing families back together and mm. restoring broken relationships mm. and healing broken hearts and you know it doesn't all happen overnight obviously but a journey can get set whereby you know there are opportunities we're given the strength to say sorry where we need to say sorry or to forgive where we need to, to forgive so you know I think just just that sense of there is hope and all is definitely not lost when Amen. it comes to our families yeah that's great thank you 
Um, so one final question. In preparation for this morning, we did ask some of the girls from our congregation mm -hmm. to submit mm -hmm. burning questions. Mm -hmm. um, and a key challenge that seemed to come through was that parenthood can be linked to a loss of identity. Is that something that you can relate to or mm -hmm. give any wisdom on? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can understand the question and I can mm -hmm. understand how that ha can happen. I don't think it did particularly for me because... When I gave my life to the Lord at 21, I was, my whole identity changed right from that point. Mm. And I knew that I was known, I was loved, and I was treasured. And suddenly, yeah. that became my identity. And so it wasn't, I, I didn't find my identity in, in, in what I did. It, it, it became in who, who I was and who mm. I am. And so what God thinks about me is so much more important than mm. what anybody think, else thinks about me and so I mean I've never been prone to putting my identity into what I do I've always been more of it's, my inner world really has always been more important than my outer world mm. and even more so now with Jesus in my inner world and I get my identity from him and so in in that sense it doesn't matter what what sort of change in circumstances in life whether it's becoming, you know, getting married, becoming a wife or, or becoming a mum or in your job or career or, or you know, all of that. It, it doesn't matter how things can change outwardly. Mm. Uh, fundamentally, for me, it doesn't change who I am. So I kind of weathered the, that, that sort of tendency um, to think that, that I'm like, who am I? Where am I? Mm. Um, so, no, I've, I've, my identity is in God. And, um, and that's what helps keep me on, on course when everything else is changing. Mm. And I guess when um, your identity is secure, then it's easier to sort of fight that temptation of comparison or jealousy that yes. affects so many of us kind of looking into yeah. the neighbour's garden and wondering <laughs> why yours isn't so perfect. So <laughs> you made a, um, an incredible decision before you were a Christian, actually when you were a teenager, never to be jealous of another mm. of another mm. woman mm. um so tell us about that and yeah. how that came about well do you know i don't know how it came about really but i just do remember the the, the moment and i can remember i must have been somewhere around 14 or 15 and something must have happened because i don't think it would have just i wouldn't have said this just in a vacuum of nothingness mm. but i remember saying to myself and almost speaking the words out i am never going to be jealous of another it was a, it must have been a girl at mm. the time but you know another woman and uh, and it, i set my course and and i and i really mm. never have i've i've lived very free from the um tendency to be um envious or or, or jealous and so you know it's really just helped me to just um, not compare myself to anybody else to run my own race because mm. we're all so different aren't we and yeah. we've you know we've all got uh, different capacities and different motivational gifts and there's so much that comes into play that if we are always comparing ourselves to one another you know that's when it, it gets very toxic and very poisonous and begins to kind of you know, we die on the inside if that's the way that we're, you know, living our lives. But God intends us to keep growing and to keep flourishing Amen. and to keep blossoming. And, yeah. you know, to be able to do that just with a freedom of heart is, is just 
really, really important. And, you know, of course, being in, in the Kingsgate family and environment where there are hundreds of amazing women. I mean, everywhere you turn, there are amazing women all around. And for me, it's just such a wonderful um, joy to be able to celebrate such mm. diversity and such gifting and such just emotional maturity and such givenness and such great spirituality. It really is just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, you know, out, out in our atrium today, there are just some pictures of uh, just a very small snapshot of the wonderful women in our world that are representing all kinds of different facets of motherhood. Some, some don't have children, but they're spiritual mothers in the house. There are others who have adopted children, there are um, uh, foster carers, there, you know, the grandmothers, there's the whole sort of representation of, of motherhood, but, but broader than that, the celebration of, of the privilege of being women together, and you know, I just, I, w I want this church family to be a family where people can come in, women can come in, and they can feel totally loved and accepted, yeah. and not feel like somehow they've got to be like somebody else in order to, because that is just not the way that the Lord treats us, and he looks at us all individually and, and very uniquely, and, and loves us, because he knows us, he loves us, and he treasures us. Mm. That's yeah. great. Well, thank you so much for your um, wisdom and giving us an insight into your world today. And um, have you got any final thoughts in conclusion? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously we've been talking uh, about women and celebrating women, but you know, this is a, a message really that applies to everybody: that we are known, we're loved, and we're treasured. So, for men and women, whatever season of life we're in, whether we're younger or older, it doesn't take away the truth that we have an incredible, loving, heavenly Father who, you know, just loves to pour out His blessing upon us. And so, my and my hope for today is that um, all of us, you know, whether we've been here and coming for many, many years or whether this is our first time in church, that there would just be a fresh sense of there is a God in heaven who loves us. Amazing. Well, yeah. please, thank you. Thanks to Karen. You're amazing. And please welcome Dave back to the stage. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you, Karen. Fantastic. I'd like to invite all the women to stand, and we'd like to, Karen and I would like to pray over you. So if all the women could stand, and um, we want to speak a blessing on this Mother's Day for over all the women here. Father God, we celebrate all the women who are here today. I want to thank you for each and every one of them as they represent mothers, sisters, daughters, aunts, and grandmothers. Thank you that you know each of them by name. Thank you that you love them and care for every single one of them and you're interested in every detail of their lives. We pray today that they might be honored, respected, loved, and protected. Today we pray for all mothers, especially those with young and teenage children. Pray that you give them strength, wisdom and insight to meet the challenges of motherhood in an increasingly pressurized society where 
many demands are made upon them. Bless them today, we pray. We also want to stand with those who've lost their mums this year and ask that you would comfort them at this time of remembrance. For men and women here today, comfort them right now in Jesus' name. We also bring before you those whose relationship with their mother isn't as strong as it could be. And pray today that you would initiate a new season of peace, forgiveness, where possible, reconciliation. Finally, Lord, we want to thank you for all the wonderful women who are part of the Kingsgate family. Pray that each and every single one of them would know that they are personally known loved and treasured and I ask that you'd pour out your favor upon them as they seek to honor you and put you first place in their lives we bless them now in Jesus name Amen Amen